Happy New Year and welcome to the Live Courageously podcast show. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is the first episode of 2024 and the 60th episode of the Live Courageous podcast show since I started the show two years ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and an unconscious theme for most of my life. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. So let's meet today's Live Courageously guest, Chuck Slavin. Chuck is a member of SAG-AFTRA, IBEW, and IATSE. He serves on the SAG-AFTRA New England board. He was first elected as a national AFTRA delegate to the 2011 AFTRA convention held in Seattle, Washington. Chuck continued his service into 2023 as a local board member with a consistent record of being overwhelmingly duly elected by his peers. Slavin is a tenacious advocate for the New England film industry. He's the president and founder of New England Talent and Crew, an online resource for the entertainment industry, and he administrates over 20 Facebook groups for film and talent advocacy. As an actor, he has appeared in Annabelle Hooper and the Ghost of Nantucket as the police chief and the feature film The Family's Feud as Skunk. I just watched it last night on Tubi. Hilarious and a fun role for Chuck. Uh, recently, uh, Slavin became in a, a plaintiff in a lawsuit over a breach of uh, fiduciary uh, duties by SAG-AFTRA in relation to the COVID-19 return to work vaccine vaccination mandates. I saw Chuck's post on social media a while back and I reached out and we connected uh, after seeing his messages and some of his opinions on Facebook and the work he was doing in the film industry during the, the last uh, couple of years. So with that, let me uh, welcome uh, Chuck to the stage and say, hey, well, welcome brother. Thank you for joining me on Live Courageously. Thank you for having me. Sounds good. Well, sounds like, you know, you've had an interest in life. You're a East Coaster like myself. I'm a New Yorker. Um, you know, you're from uh, another place uh, out there. I think it's uh, this place is a Boston Celtics. I'm not going to hold that against you. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so we're both East Coasters. So tell me, what, what's your journey, uh, Chuck? How did you get into, where did you grow up? How did you get into acting? Why acting? You know, what, what drives you, your passion, and, and uh, what brings you to today? Thank you so much, John. And I, no I noticed you didn't put any pics of Fenway up. But maybe that's <laughs> <a good one. laughs> Right? Well, um, I, do, I do have this picture of you, but I don't think, let me see if I have it. Um, it wasn't Fen Fenway, but I was, I was kind of um, jealous of you that you were at the Army and Navy game. So that, you know, we'll have to go with that. Yeah. We'll we'll stay away from Red Sox Yankees, right? We'll we'll keep we'll stay away from that. That's right. There's some things you just can't talk about in life. That's one of them. <laughs> it's all right. We'll see what happens this year. All right. So, so I I began my journey as a kid wanting to be involved in film and television. I think very early on as a kid, I was watching, you know. One of those, what do they call them? Latchkey kids where you're watching TV all day for the most part. I mean, I played pretend out in my backwoods and I was just I was just somebody that was really fascinated by film and television and and how the stories were told and how to tell our own stories, right? So as I grew up, I got involved in community access. I started to uh, do some theater and try to get involved in that type of stuff as well as you know i boxed i wrestled um 
so as we know, growing up in that generation, the theater kids were a little different than the, the, the sports kids, but I tried to have some balance in that. And so I really wanted to, to try to do everything I could to get involved and do acting. And then finally in about 2002, I had a buddy, Ryan Baylor, who said to me during a play that we were doing, we were doing the wizard of Oz. I actually played Toto. So uh, that was a fun little role. And he said, we, we should go out to California. So packed the bags, hopped in his car, drove across country and ended up in California for at least six to eight months. And then I just found that without a car, without a steady job, I just had to return home. So I, I packed my stuff. I headed back to Massachusetts and I kind of waited and I got an operations job um, in this place called Ocean State Job Lot. And I was working in the office, no windows, no nothing. It's kind of driving me a little, a little bugging me out, if you will. And then a couple films came into Massachusetts. And so I submitted and both films at the time I had really crappy cars and they wanted the cars. <laughs> so I accepted it. And I felt at some point, maybe if I ever really truly made it, somebody would want to have like my tire tracks instead of an autograph, right? Because <laughs> these cars were, I was only working with my cars, but I was fortunate to meet a casting director on the set one night on The Departed of, uh, it was an overnight, they took all the extras, they sent them home, but everybody with cars, they let them stay. So I got a, I got talking to a woman, Jody Purdy Quinlan, and she started saying, do you know about the industry in Massachusetts? Do you know about what's happening in the film in, you know, all the opportunities there are? And I was like, around here? Really? I haven't seen anything. So I started networking. I started as much as I could. What, what, what year was that, Chuck? What year were you starting to go on that journey? I think it was like 2012 or maybe 2009, something like that. Okay. okay. So, so I, started, I started networking with everybody I could. You know, if I could, I would drive down to Rhode Island, I'd drive up to Maine, I'd drive to New Hampshire. If anything, I would Google anything had the word film in it. I was there. I wanted to meet everybody that I could. And around the same time, Facebook was coming around. So I started getting involved on Facebook by creating this group and sort of trying to engage anyone that I network with to join the group. And, you know, Facebook's gotten a little more tighter, as we know. And so uh -huh. back then... If you had a group with so many people in it, you could actually message the group members and you could start to organize that way. And so at a certain point, we had that film tax incentive that was in its infancy. And so we right. had a couple of movies come in and it was it was it was going good because I was getting some background. I was waiting tables at that point and I was trying to figure out which films and which TV things I could jump on. And then. Deval Patrick mentioned potentially uh, capping the credit. And so when that happened, my girlfriend at the time, we had a family friend who was involved in politics. And so he said, well, you, you've been networking, you've been organizing people. What you need to do is show them that you have a base, show them that you have people that will fight for this credit. So I put together a rally with uh, Jody Purdy Quinlan, coincidentally, and we got about 500 people to show up at the state house. And at that point, I hadn't heard anything from any of the unions, nothing. There was nothing going on because there was a hearing that I don't know that many people knew about. 
And so our push was to get people to that hearing to make a presence. And in the, I think it was like a day before or something, I got a call from somebody who claimed to be from the union and said, hey, we got this. We don't need your help. And I was like, you don't need my help. I'm talking to legislators. I'm talking to a bunch of people. And so I said, well, this isn't, I'm not stopping. We've got people going and we're going to make a presence. Good so in you. about the 25th hour, got a message from the union telling everybody to go to the state house and show up at the hearing. And I was like, oh, they cashed in. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, we, we do things for the greater good. It doesn't matter. But at that point, I said to myself, all right, it's time for me to get involved in union politics because I see the way they're operating and I want to make a change. And so that's when I decided to run. What it, you know, there's two things, uh, you know, listening to you and sharing that I think, you know, for anybody watching, especially young actors and actresses. I mean, I, I started out in the in, uh, film industry as an actor back in New York before I, I ended up pivoting into line producing and producing. But, you know, I, I think the lesson just listening to you is one, you know, you're uh, basically taking charge of your career by going and working in those different states and then by networking. And realizing at the end of the day, if you're going to be successful, you got to find a way to go out there and do the work yourself, make those connections, build that network and get involved and get involved in both finding uh, work, but also then getting involved in doing things that's going to provide more work for you and for your state and for wherever you are, like you did in, in pushing on those tax incentives. So, I mean, I think people can take away a lesson from that is that's how you get ahead in the industry. And that's what you did. And that started you from there, but to who you are today. So, uh, you know, uh, a good story right there about what it takes to get there. So keep going, man. Yeah, keep going. So you got involved well, and, in that and point I think you're making, a, you're, making amazing, you're making an amazing point because, again, I, I, I studied, you know, science as we all did in school and, uh, you know, biology and all of that and then the neutron, the nucleus. And you got to get yourself in motion. I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of people will say to themselves, I want to do something, but then they don't really do any of the other work. And it's a lot of times if you put, pick yourself up and start putting yourself in motion, whatever it is, then you'll start stuff will start to come your way. You'll start to you won't feel it at first, just like going to the gym. Right. I mean, you, you go to the gym and you don't feel it at first, but then you start to see the gains and you start to see that, OK, now I'm 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 on the path. I'm starting to make the motion and then you're going up. I mean, all race cars, right? The first, the first lap is always very slow just so they can learn the track, but then they're going a hundred miles an hour after that. So I think it's really important. And I think that that's why, again, when I, when I was, com when I was coming up and getting involved in that, I had this feeling of, of, uh, you know, I can make a difference. I can get involved. I can, I can organize people. I can start to talk to folks and say, listen, because again, I had great guidance from a gentleman named Ed Sweeney. And he, he told me, he said, you know, they have to know. And it was something also that my dad told me who, w growing up, which my dad has passed, but he, he told me that, you know, back in the day, you used to hitchhike. And the way that you would hitchhike is you put your thumb out there and people knew you needed a ride. Now, I'm not advising anyone to hitchhike. <laughs> back back in the day, yes. <laughs> back in the day, if you, t you had to tell people where you wanted to go, right? So... So I think that there's a lot of that. It was it was a situation for me where they were going to end something that was a dream of mine since I was a kid. And it was not I was not about to let that happen because it was too important for me to not get involved. But, you know, with, with that, too, I think, you know, you, you stepped up and 
and, and that's what it takes. It takes that ability to step up, even if you don't necessarily know how to do it or how it's going to work itself out. But just that courage to say, look, you know, I, I, it needs to be done. So I'm going to step up and do whatever I can to get it done. And, and then all of a sudden, like you said, you get you put energy in motion and then you're out there and then energy brings more energy and brings more things into uh, connection. I remember years ago when I was acting, when, you know, I would send out a, a hundred resumes and, you know, I would like get massive, just send out a hundred resumes. And in the next two weeks, I would get two or three jobs. And the funny thing was, it was never from any of the resumes I sent out, <laughs> not ever, but it was yeah. like the energy went out and all of a sudden, something else came in right and it didn't come yes. from where i expected it to come from but it came in anyway and, and yeah you know, we've i certainly have experienced that one night i i had thought to myself that this is it i i don't know what i'm gonna do the work isn't coming in so i sat the entire day on at the time i think it was monster.com and i oh, yeah. i must have filled out every single job that was on monster.com and then the, i never heard anything from anyone so i was like wow oh, this is strange but then the very next day, I got a call. Hey, do you want to stand in on this film? Uh, yes. And I hope that no one from Monster calls me now because. <laughs> but it's kind of funny. It's like you put the energy out and then energy comes back and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's coming, how it's going to come. But it's by you taking that massive action uh, up to, to get in motion and to get stuff happening for your career and your life and for, you know, what you're doing. So tell us, uh, Chuck. You know, like you said, then you got involved. You had this rally to, to keep the incentives going, to keep the industry strong in, in, um, in Massachusetts. And then you decided, because of your experience with it, to get involved in union leadership. And that was kind of like the next step. Besides acting, then you stepped into another way to be involved. And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, I became sort of a... I became addicted, I guess. I mean, I, I was addicted already. But I think at that moment, I said to myself, because I also spoke to a first AD I knew, and he had told me, he said, you know, you should get involved behind the scenes. You know everybody's name. You know these people from all the events you're going to, from all the parties. You also should get behind the scenes because part of the problem is you're working 16, 15-hour days, and a lot of times people are like, hey, go get Jimmy from the electric and bring him over here. And it's like, if you know who Jimmy is, your life is a lot easier, right? Than the people who are walking around, hey, what's your name? Hey, what's your name? So I started getting involved behind the scenes and then also trying to get involved on the, on the board level. So I submitted myself, I believe the very first thing I ran for was for an after delegate and the after board, which again, at the time I had no real after, after it was just we were together as a union. And so I had worked on a television show that was under an after contract. So I ran for after to get my feet wet. And I actually, I lost the local board by one vote, which should inspire everybody to know that, you know, each vote does count. And I surprisingly on the delegate race, I was the top three under 200 individuals who had been there for a very long time. So I, so I went out to uh, Washington at the time and was a after delegate. So I got to experience that. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and then when I came back, coincidentally, we had the SAG after a race and I was able to pick up a board seat in the SAG side. So what, was year, able, what year was that, Chuck? Well, it was around 2011 and 2012. Yep. Okay. It's about a decade yeah. ago. 
so so you now now you're kind of doing you're juggling or not necessarily juggling but you're handling two different sides you're doing the acting and you're also doing uh, you know the working on the board working for the union working for your your, your fellow actors so you're kind of doing both things um yeah i you know i want to work so i've found a way myself to get involved in every if there's a job on the set i want to work it if i'm not working something else I mean, and so that's why I got involved in IBW, which is IATSE, which does broadcast. So I do stage management. Oftentimes I'll do running, which I'll assist announcers. And then I also do some utility work. And then I work IATSE Local 11 here in Boston, which is the stage hands union. So I'll set up for concerts and stuff like that because I have some experience doing video walls and all these other sort of things. So I just look at it like I think with a lot of this stuff, it's show up, have a good attitude and you work and then a little bit of work will lead to more work and that's that's what i try to do is you know let people know i want to work and hopefully if i can pick up some gigs then the gig will lead to something else or i'll gain some experience or something like that you know i see some people that probably spent a lot of money on film school and i did not do that i did take some uh theater classes and stuff like that but I didn't really learn. I, all my all my experience has been on on set and hands on, and so I feel like a lot of times, like there's jargon that you learn, and sometimes the jargon switches up with other people. But as long as you have the basics, right? I'm from I'm from Boston, so and close to Brockton, and we have Rocky Marciano, and one of his big things was the basics. So try to work on the basics all the time. Well, I I, I love that. I mean, I. I, I got into the film industry uh, purely by accident. I didn't expect to be an actor, um, but you know, I was—I uh, say it was my seventh lifetime. And then all of a sudden, I started studying acting. I got into a play, and then I was doing acting. And then from there, you know, I moved to California to act. And then a door opened up behind this uh, camera, and I became—I started at the top, and I became a line producer. That was my first gig. I didn't do PA. I didn't do any of that. But like you said, it's about getting it. There's many ways to get to this place, but you know, getting involved and doing the work is the way to learn. To me, it's better than school. Uh, I didn't go to, I dropped out of high school and went back to college, but I didn't study film. Um, it's better to do it in the real world. And that's what you're doing. And for people too, it's like, you're, you're juggling a lot of different things. You know, you've uh, AD'd, you second AD'd, you line produce, you do like you said with the uh, IATSE. I think for a lot of people to understand that, you know, rather than sitting around doing nothing, you're better off working a different position in the movie because you're building those connections, you're learning, you're having experiences rather than just focus on one thing. Because sometimes we got to be able to, you know, have other ways to survive, whether we like yeah. them or not. And so, um, you know, I think that's kind of what your lesson is from, you know, watching you and just seeing, you know, that you were able to, you know, multi multitask into different in uh, parts of the crew. Well, I, I think too, I think that part of it comes from maybe there's some some underlying trauma of when I was a kid. My cousin used to, I, I never knew anything about cars. I, I, I really don't know much about cars at the moment. <laughs> I, mean, I know how to drive and I'm a good driver and I'm hired a lot for my driving. But when I was young, I remember my cousin one time we were driving around and my horn didn't work. Now, now I know that it was probably, you know, one of the circuits or something. But he told me, we, we showed up at a gas station. He said, you got to go inside and you got to ask the attendant for horn fluid. And so I walked inside and there's a bunch of guys there. They're all covered in grease. They got their jumpsuits on. And I said, excuse me, sir. Um, 
I'd like to know which aisle the horn fluid is in. And let me tell you that the laughs at me, at that moment, <laughs> the embarrassment I had. Um, and I, I fell for it one other time with the hoopa later. He told me that my hoopa <laughs> was broken. And so I think from, from those moments, it's probably propelled me to, like when you say be, you, you became a line producer, in those instances, if you don't know some of the underworkings of what happens on the set, you, you can be taken advantage of by people that will say, hey, listen, we're going to need more money. We're going to need this. We're going to need that. And if, you, and if you don't really know how the system works, then you may say to yourself, oh, yeah, okay, I need a, I need a giant crane or I need this or that. And so you'll then get, you'll get stuck on somebody's bill where they're telling you something that isn't exactly necessary. So I think the more experience you have around the camera, you actually become a really valuable asset to the production because you can tell when you're being taken advantage of. And unfortunately, sometimes there is a lot of folks in our industry that will try to take advantage of other people where you could get something done for cheaper or, you know, in a, in a better, faster, more efficient way. And so that's kind of why I started one of the other reasons, one of the many reasons why I started getting involved behind the scenes in front of the camera, because eventually I do my own stuff from here to from here and there. And so I want to be able to do that effectively. And I know that like a lot of these big productions, they can blow a pretty big budget. And when you don't have that budget, you want to make sure that you're, you're tightening the belt and, and securing the wallet. Right. So. Well, hundred percent. And you know, all you find, like in my case, the way I, I did it when I got hired to line produce, I took a friend of mine who was a line producer to lunch and I asked him like 300 questions, everything. Yeah. How do you do this? How do you do that? What about this? What about that? What about this? So, you know, after about three hours of picking his brain, I think I had enough to start. I, you know, I knew enough to get going and, and have enough that at least I could get in there and make it happen. And like you said, we had a budget at that time. First film was $500,000 shooting on feature film. And we had to pull off a feature for that. And it was like, okay, I got to get things for free because we don't have the money. So now yeah. it was like, how do I get things for free? So you challenge yourself, but having somebody to mentor or, or, or being, you know, willing to ask questions. I mean, I've done, you know, over 40, 50 films. And, and to this day, every day I do a new film, I reach out and I ask other people in all the departments questions because I don't assume I know more than them or that I know everything because I don't. Uh, I know what I know and others know things that I don't know. So why not ask them and get good information before I make decisions and, and you know, uh, come at it with that kind of attitude. And I think that's what you're saying too, to get there, to get to understand, you know, what's going on on all these levels. It makes you more valuable to everybody because, you know, you, you, you only know what you do, but you know what other people are doing as well and how to, how to help them. Yeah. And, and in life, sometimes we tread water and that helps us learn to swim and I think that we also we've got to be really focused on trying to set other people up for success. And so we we push forward and we learn as much as we can and we ask as many people and we trust the sources that we ask and we try to find folks that are involved that can help. And I, I think that's a great example of you being willing to go and sit down at lunch with another friend and say, here's all the questions I have and bang out everything you can to learn as much as you can, because, again, it, it becomes a situation where you, you you get advice, but you have to sort of filter that sometimes. But then you yeah. can also, as you apply the hands-on, you get smarter and smarter and more, more efficient, more tactical and optimizing what it is that you, you need for where you would want to advance yourself, right? So 
I think that's a really smart point. You know, and a lot of times too, I, I mean, I think questions can be really a useful tool because like you said, people will sometimes not give you the, the direct information. But, you know, I always like if you ask somebody, well, how should we do this? And they tell you, you know, how to do it. And of course, they maybe want the most expensive way and the way that's going to cost the most money. But then, you know, you ask them, okay, if you don't have the money and you can't do that, how else would you do it? And now they're forced to give you an answer they didn't want yeah. to give you, right? Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, I can't do it that way. No, you can't. But then what else would you do? Now We're going to put the camera on the shopping cart and roll it down the street. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You, you mean I can't get a, 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 a helicopter? No, you can't get a helicopter. Uh, what else are you going to do? Yeah. But, um, you know, it's it, it's that thing of knowing how to, you know, have the common sense to be able to figure things out. And that's kind of what I think your experience has been. And you have the broadness of both being on the inside, you know, being an actor, being uh, on crew and, and just that range of experience. I think people should learn, could take a good lesson away from that from you. So let me pivot back to you real quick with acting, how much you love acting. This is uh, a picture, I believe, of you on, on the left here. Um, yeah. In, in the in, in the movie you asked me to watch last night, you know, and, and I, I say I started to watch the beginning of it and I figured, OK, I'm going to watch three or four minutes of it. But of course, I ended up having to watch the whole movie. It was hilarious. Uh, your part was fun. Um, so it was a, it was an enjoyable hour and a half out of my time. Um, so uh, thanks for sharing that with me. So I don't know. You want me? I can put it up uh, real quick, the trailer, just for fun. If, uh, if you yeah. want to, sure. Yeah, let's sure. Have, why not? Let's give let's give the yeah. people a little bit of. Uh, let me uh, uh, share the screen and let's see if I can make sure that we got a uh, sound. And there we go. And let me know if we got sound, but I think we we do. Whoops. Oh, down yeah, down left. You might need to yep put the. Whoops. So there's a little X next to the yeah, next yeah. to the horn there. Let me go back. Let me go back. There we go. Let me go back. And okay. Do we got it now? Yeah. <laughs> Speak. It's Vinny. You there? No, I'm fing over there. The name's Angelo D'Angelo. Some know me as Don Angelo, one of the bosses of New York's infamous five families. Perhaps you heard of the other four. Nicky Knuckles Gardino. I'm going to get it right here, you sucker. Mario the Mangler Mancini. F*** you, Sonny. Lucky Luigi Lucano. As much as I hate that f***ing prick, Sonny. And finally, that motherless f*** Sonny Green. I love all of you guys. Oh, I only ask that you guys turn the other way when the hammer comes down on this f***ing jerk off Angelo. Yeah, that's right. He wants me whacked. You know that sucker even wired the toilet at my house with dynamite? In my home, Luigi! Where my wife sweeps and my children come to play with their toys. You believe that crap? In my home. Okay, just to be clear, which guy are we talking here? Sonny what? Sonny Red? Sonny Red is dead. Where you been? Okay, so then we're talking about Sonny Black then. He's doing f***ing life in the slammer. Green. Any relation to Mo? Oh, you know, the one who got his eyeball blown out in Vegas by our old friend? No, no relation to Mo. A curly, a champ, a f***ing Larry, or the other f***ing guy that... But not an Irishman. Right. No, no. Would you get that a f***ing point? 
Uh, so where was I? So anyway, to make matters worse, some of my crew on business up in Maine crossed paths with some backwoods Bigfoot hunting hillbilly bastards. What's going on here then? He does it, fellas. We're about to lay our dear departed friend to rest. That was very good friend and jumbo trash bag. Who also figured they'd start a feud. I'm calling bullshit. Bigfoot? Yeah, that's right. Fucking Bigfoot uh, hunters. Big feet. Stupid. There's more than one. The shit's gonna hit the fan. And I don't want any of you to get splattered. Too late, because the bullets are flying and lots of good fellows are dying. I wouldn't do that if I was you. Get me! <laughs> yeah. We take our last stand right here. Who the hell are you? General Custer. Hey, fellas. My name's Bonnie Lou. I'm Honeydew. You can call me Bonnie Sue. The wise guy of Redneck. The D'Angelo family ain't going down easy. It's time for some fucking revenge. So grab a weapon. We gotta get this party started right now. And pick a side. Haney. Haney. You, Angelo. Honeymoon. I should have shot you in the damn face. You suck. Catch Goomba. Buy a toe. dollars. Don't let go. Ah! Come here, garlic bread. This could get ugly. <laughs> it worked, did it? All right. Um. That, I, I'm telling you, I, I did not expect it. It was hilarious. Um, your part was very cool, man. So tell me, when you. you guys film that? Um, uh, how long? Give me some of the behind the scenes for the uh, audience. So we actually filmed that during uh, COVID, during the pandemic. We did a week down. It was right, right very early on. I think it was like September, right before the winter of 2021. So that was right around the time when... Uh, people were, you know, talking about masking up and ensuring that you had the social distancing and stuff. But there was still some filming going on. So we we got right in uh, when that was happening. So we we filmed it outside in Rhode Island. Uh, a lot of the scenes, some of the scenes were indoors, of course. You've seen the movie. Um, and so it was so much fun. I got to tell you, when, when I got the call, Stu Rapogel is a friend of mine, and he said, look, I got this part for you. I want you to, I want you to work on your hillbilly accent, and this is going to be a lot of fun. I got a lot of these guys lined up that are from a lot of the big films like The Sopranos and uh, Goodfellas and that sort, of a, that sort of genre. And what we're going to do is we're going to have these hillbillies who are going to go to war with the Italian mob. And I was like, that's incredible. This is, this is awesome. So it, uh, when you see it, it's, it's so much fun. It's available for free. This isn't one of those things where anybody's being charged. Tubi is free. I just don't think a lot of people know about Tubi. So um, it was an awesome part. I'll tell you, the first day, as you saw, there's a campfire scene. So I'm not giving anything away. Big campfire, campfire scene. So I showed up. We're going to do a week's worth of work. Very first day, I had like my eight-pager. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I spent the whole night memorizing lines and all of that to get ready for that very first day because it was right. It was a wallop on the very first day. But it was so much fun. It was it was just it was just a hoot. And the concept, all the characters, everybody did such a fantastic job. John Fiore, who plays the lead, is is incredible in this. Um, and I've just gotten a lot of great feedback and I really like it. And I hope people watch it because I think it's one of those movies where. As you said, it's a surprise hit. It's something that people 
um, may look at and go, oh, this was filmed on a, on a shoestring budget and it was filmed locally. But no, the production value is pretty incredible and it's, it's, it's really funny. And I think the, people will like the characters because it's something different. You haven't really seen something like that before, right? You, you only see the Italians might fight the Irish, but you don't really see them fighting the hillbillies. So I think, I think it's cool. Well, years ago, Online produced a movie called Very Mean Men, which was about the Italians versus the Irish and Eagle Rock. They were fighting over Eagle Rock in California, right? So it was a crazy uh, comic uh, satire, but you're right. But this is, takes it to a different level. And I saw somebody commented on Tubi that it's like it's like a cult classic, uh, you know, because, you know, you take these two groups of people and they're very stereotypical, at least, you know, you make them more stereotypical in your movie. But then you put them together and, and it's hilarious. You know, it's like, yeah. because, you know, they would never come together. Right. And yet they're here. And, and of course, it's exaggerated, but that's why it's comedy. So, it's <laughs> you know, it's, it's very cool, man. Well, congratulations on that. And, um, Thank you. you know, continued uh, with, with the stuff you're doing. But now, you know, let's pivot uh, a little bit into some of the other stuff. You know, when you mentioned you did it during COVID, during um, and, and that's kind of I saw some of the stuff that you were posting during that period of time about that, which kind of got me interested as well. Now, I, I worked during COVID. I did movies all over the place. I was out everywhere. And um, I, I did about a bunch of, I think, about 10 town halls about how to get back to work during the COVID thing for independent filmmakers. And I, I'd had everybody in from all sides with different opinions. So tell me your experience both in working during COVID, but also your point of view that you took out there, which was uh, a little bit different. Yeah, it's, it's a situation where when I, when I first started in, in working during COVID, as you saw, there was a lot of, there was a lot of nobody knew, right? It was a lot of unexpected. How are we going to move forward? What's going to happen? And so then they implemented, as we know, the return to work agreement, which said, that producers could ask vaccination status. And so in that, in that situation, somebody could say, are you vaccinated? Are you non-vaccinated? But in the language, it's very, it's very precise where it says you must ask prior to the, uh, at the time of the offer of employment. So I saw my work greatly diminish. I saw, I know many other people who saw their work diminish. And I saw a lot of folks skating the rules and there was not a lot of enforcement by the union as far as reaching out to the union and asking them that folks with medical exemptions, folks with religious exemptions were not being hired. Folks that said that they didn't want to take the shots were not being hired. And there wasn't a lot of there wasn't any any carve outs for the for acquired immunity. As, a, as opposed to vaccine-induced immunity. Meaning, I know it's once, you got COVID, you, once you got COVID, you got acquired immunity from, from having the uh, actual virus. Correct. Right. Yep. And what, they, what they're considering, what they consider is that they have a vaccine-induced immunity. And so somehow the scientists were saying that the vaccine-induced immunity was greater than an acquired immunity, which, again... Not to go too much into it, because I know it's one of those sticky widgets, but... but you're welcome to go wherever you want. All right? right. All right. Well, we all know that that acquired immunity is greater than vaccine-induced immunity, 
if you've had the disease, your body has built the antibodies because scientifically a, a vaccine induced immunity is supposedly doing that with what is considered the weaker virus, or in this case, a tricked out virus that is supposedly a synthetic uh, double of the virus, right? So if you, so, so scientifically your acquired immunity should be the greatest, the greatest immunity that you can get. But a lot of people were saying those don't count. And Again, I don't I don't really like I think general generalizations on the whole are are a dangerous place to be. We can talk in generalizations, but a lot of times people if you the generalization will be too extreme, right? Like to say that every single person uh needs a certain uh uh immunity again is sort of the confliction of what we heard, right? Cuz we heard for most people do it for grandma. Do it so that you can protect the people around you. And, but there wasn't a lot of like, well, I'm going to make my own choice. And so I've had a lot of back and forth with our current president of SAG-AFTRA, who is by uh, her own admission, someone who is holistic, who believes in holistic health. And so the advocacy that went on, again, there's a, there's a case, I'm sure there'll be some discovery and there'll be some opening up of the email exchanges and all of that as happened. Is that this thing here? Uh, is that what I'm putting up in this. Correct. Yep. Correct. Correct. So, you know, um, I don't know. I'm hopeful that people can see the exchanges at some point. I'm hopeful that uh, folks will understand the case. And as time goes on, I think that a lot of people who are considered quote unquote conspiracy theorists are turning out to be realists when it comes to the science, when it comes to what's happening, because it, it's being proven that Again, I think it's just as simple as anybody who's on their fifth, sixth, seventh COVID shot that the first and second didn't work. So whether you want to argue that, you know, some other thing, you have to ask yourself that it wasn't a one and done. And the true meaning of a vaccine is to uh, prevent the virus from returning, you know. And so when people talk about something, we'll, we'll, we'll go away from COVID for the moment, but something like smallpox. Smallpox doesn't exist because the vaccine worked. Works. Right. And, you you know, I just read um, the uh, uh, AARP just, uh, you know, put out a thing telling people to get their eight shot. Um, wow. and, you're, and you're like the eight shot. And, and then in, in the article that they promote that, they say it's not, and, and, and this is tricky language, they say it's not a booster when in reality it is a booster. They say, but it's a new vaccine, but it can't be a new vaccine because a new vaccine hasn't been approved either officially or even by an emergency authorization. So it is a booster. It's the, you know, it's the eight uh, one that they're offering you. And so it's like, when does it stop? 150, 200? I mean, where is where is the end? And is there any money uh, linked to this? Is there a follow the money thing maybe going on here? Eh, who knows, right? But you know, it's that kind of thing. And you that's what I saw when you started speaking out in that. Because I have friends. I have a friend who's a leader in the disabled movement who's an actress. And once again, she wasn't able to get a medical emergency, uh, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, exemption to be able to work, even though her doctor said, because she was paralyzed as a kid from a uh, polio vaccine. And the doctor said, if you take this vaccine, it might kill you. So 
get, that, that's a pretty strong reason to get an exemption. And the answer was, well, we can't give you an exemption. So it was like, oh, so I should just get it and risk dying. Huh. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Um, well, again, it goes back to it goes back to the confliction of what we were told. Right. We were told, get it to help out the immunocompromised community. But right. then the immunocompromised community was being denied work. So right. there was a, there was a lot of situations where. Again, I, I think some of the stuff that I've done over the past couple of years is going to eventually come out. Some of the some of the appeals I wrote to some of the government agencies and such saying to them, you know, a lot of this doesn't make sense. COVID COVID somehow is OK as long as a camera is rolling. So somehow COVID doesn't exist in the bubble of the camera rolling. And the response to that is, oh, well, we've done what we can to to minimize the amount of people in the area and all of that. At a certain point, you have to live your life knowing whether it be a, a meteor could crash tomorrow and take out half of this planet. You have to go out and you have to live, as as the show name is, live courageously and and move forward and not uh, not not take a situation where, for example, the the risk assessment would say for those that say you know stay home, save lives. Well then you stay home. Don't come out and you right. can the storm. For those of us that want to work and operate in society, there is, there is no reason. And those same folks who would, who would ask you if you were vaccinated, well, they're not posting their vaccination status so that you can see it. They're asking you whether you're vaccinated. So you don't know whether the producer or the star of the show is vaccinated. Well, you know, and, and the whole thing, like you said, it, it to me, because I grew up in the East Coast in the Bronx, you know, it all lacked common sense to me because, you know, I, I'm just a common sense guy. And I would just say, well, you're saying all this, but yet the average working person, the, the poor people who are working in grocery stores and all those other industries, they're out there risking their lives. But you're telling other people not to go out. Well, you're not telling them to stay home. You don't care about them, do you? You know, it's okay if they risk their lives for you because you want your groceries uh, delivered to you by your, you know, Uber Eats driver or whatever. So it, there was so much of a lack of common sense in that whole factor that I just was like, I, I, I just ain't buying it. I mean, here's the common sense. If, if you're on a set and you can sit and eat with people without masks on, well, if it can get transmitted, you know, it can get transmitted while you're eating, right? I mean, so... <laughs> So how does it, you know, all, it just seems like theater, you know, it's like everybody yeah. became theater performers. It's like, <laughs> come on now, you know, I mean, let's do theater in the theater. We don't have to do it in real life. Yes. I mean, yes. And I, and I must say, because I have so many friends and people that will probably watch this, who will be, who will be pulling their hair out over the use of the word vaccination. I asked them to rewind to where I spoke about generalization that we're generalizing this vaccination because a lot of folks know and 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 many folks who are waking up to it realize that it may not exactly be a vaccination right so right. so i'm just using that in the generalized sense of the word but yes i do know that the emergency use it's an injection i i, I totally get it but again i think part of the problem is relating to regular folks and because obviously in this situation the society is so polarized right that they don't it, it seems as though they could walk around the entire day. They could interact with a thousand people. But as soon as you mention, hey, somebody might be unvaccinated, they will clench down 
and they will be who, where, we got to get them. Let's get them. Get them out of here. Or just, you know, at some point I find it now, of course, a lot more funnier than I did. But like I'm in the grocery store this week where I am in Santa Monica, right? And, you know, you got the woman behind the counter and she got the mask on. So, okay. Um, and then, you know, she's talking to this little kid and then she high fives him and then she takes the mask down and continues to talk to him. So I'm like, well, at least be consistent, right? Either you're going to wear yeah. it, you're not going to wear it, 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 you're protecting, you're not protect. It just starts to get very funny uh, on, on one level and you oh, got to yeah. kind of see the, the silliness of it. But, but yet people think it's so important that they have it up for a minute, down for a minute. It's like, okay, whatever. You know, <laughs> I, I just can't I, get I, 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 let me tell you, I work with a guy who who absolutely up until like I think like three weeks ago, he's still wearing his mask. He still has the hand sanitizer and it never makes sense. It's 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 a security blanket. He'll put it on random times. You know, exactly. if, if he feels a little like, you know, whatever, then all of a sudden the mask will go on. But I got to tell you, John, I'm super surprised you made it out of the supermarket without being able, without them still having those bubbles on the ground with the arrows, because <laughs> those, you know, those it, save it, countless lives. I, it, you know, it, it, I trained myself to figure out how to get out. It's, it's <laughs> taking a lot of, you know, it's like, you, you know, actors muscle memory, right? You yeah. Have a muscle memory. So we just kind of practice is okay. I, I, okay, the step to the right, the step to the left. I, I couldn't have done it without them, man. <laughs> and then you look at someone in the aisle and you say, do you know which way this aisle is? Well, is it one <laughs> way or is it two ways? <laughs> well, there, there, there's a thing I got to put up. You you had it on your thing. Uh, this is, uh, it seems only like yesterday I was getting caught a conspiracy theorist by Fruit Loops like this. You know, <laughs> uh, I have to share that. You know, It's an extreme. It's funny, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, I, I mean, I think you have a pretty good sense of humor about some of the stuff you post on social media to, you know, to get people to at least think, you know, just, I mean, it, it's not to make people right or wrong, but it's like, think, just think a little bit, you know, think a little deeper, oh, maybe yeah. be open, you know, be open to the fact that somebody else has a different opinion. They might be right. They, they might not, but they might. So why not listen to them? Why not at least take the moment to listen to somebody who has a different opinion than you? Well, I think, and and I think that's lost in social media, right? I mean, back in the day, we could we could have conversations. I was I was telling somebody the other day, how many times when we were younger did we get in a fight with somebody else, and then at the end of the night, we were driving them back to their house and dropping them off. I mean, <laughs> it, it, nowadays, if you say one wrong thing, you're blocked for life, and the person will never talk to you again. And yet, I think we had a we had in those situations, we had a much better look at life where. It was a situation just like in politics. I mean, they, they talk all the time here in Boston about how we have politicians who would who would st stand up on the floor of the Senate and yell at each other. And, you know, they'd be they'd be salvating and they'd be throwing, <laughs> getting all red and high blood pressure. And then 10 minutes later, they'd be in a bar drinking afterwards, just having a good time. So I think we have to just lighten up a little bit. Social media is what it is. And. Again, at this point, I've been banned so many times or 30 days <laughs> suspensions that I that I think, uh, who cares now? Well, well that's kind of why I reached out to you. And I know, like, I had a, a relative of mine, um, you know, uh, unfriend me because I shared an article about the film industry that I didn't write that was written in England. But I think it had, like, two negative words about Dr. Fauci. And 
I got threatened to take it down. Otherwise, they were gonna. My relative was gonna unfriend me. Who's not in the film industry has nothing to do with the film industry. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you? I, I mean, but it was that kind of insanity. You went, all right. Well, I guess I'm unfriended. You know, whatever. You know, yeah. that's right. But um, it, it it's just it, people went so crazy, and I mean, you know, really crazy. Um, and hopefully people are starting to walk back the, the insanity back to a place of normal. And like you said, having that ability to get into those conversations, then go have a drink together or, or be able to do that. That would be a great place to get back to if we could. But I'm not totally positive we're going to get there, but I'd like to. <laughs> well, that's and, and that's it. Right. I mean, like I'm somebody I have my phone number, my email, everything's out on the Web. And and. You know, a lot of times I get these things that people would be, they'd be typing all these things and saying all this stuff. And it, it's a question where it's like, you can just message me. Like, do you think that like, I'm, I'm reading all these comments all day long? I mean, <laughs> who, would have, who would have the time for that? I don't I know, know anyone that would have the time. And it's also a situation where it's like, it's my page. There'd be people my saying, page. how dare you do this? How dare you go post this? And it's, <laughs> it's on my own page. I mean, like, what, what are you talking about? So you got to do a poll every time you're going to post something to see if you have a vote to allow you to post that, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a de uh, democratic page we have here. And <laughs> democracy, the mob wins, right? Oh, God. Uh, Madness. Well, let me pivot again, man. There's so much, you know, it, it's fun having this conversation with you. Uh, there's so many other things, but I know one of the other things you've been involved in, and you were involved big in the, and I'll just put up a couple of pictures, um, you know, well, that, forget that, we already went through that one. Um, but, you know, it, during the SAG strike, uh, you were, you know, big on uh, representing the membership during the strike. Um, but a big piece of that, that you also took a whole, um, stance on in the union and, and in the thing was around AI. So tell me a little bit about the strike if you want, but I, I'd like to kind of get into the AI because you took a, a strong position about how dangerous that is to your membership, uh, but it's also beyond the membership. AI is also dangerous to the placement of humans outside of uh, actors and writers, but share what you, you, your take on, on that and, and your fight on that. Yeah, and I'm and I'm glad you're mentioning that because I think that to pivot off of the mandate, the return to work agreement, this is actually a very good segue into it. Because with artificial intelligence, I believe that the return to work agreement was the gateway drug for what is now happening with artificial intelligence. And so well put. Well put. I am I am of I am a very strong proponent of strikes. Um, and I, I am part of a political faction inside of my union that does believe in what is considered a militant view of how to, how to bargain, how to, uh, how to collectively bargain, we'll say. And so, uh, that group membership first, who prior to this election was very strong in Los Angeles in where the majority of members who work are, are very, uh, centralized. So, uh, in this last election, going through again with the conversations with many of the friends out there, with what happened with the return to work agreement, that group was fractured. So uh, uh, quite a few of us, public knowledge, left that group and sort of got involved in advocating in, a, in what we consider was the original view of the group that we belong to. And so part of that was on AI and artificial intelligence. And 
artificial intelligence as we know, we were being told by leaders that that's so far away. That's so far away. Oh, man, we're never going to be replaced by artificial intelligence or synthetic performers. And that's just that's just a long ways out. And I think if you have even a even a minimum comprehension of what's happening with artificial intelligence, you're involved in any way with social media. You're seeing these videos that are coming out, these deep fakes that we were told are such a threat to us only seven months ago. And then two months ago, don't worry about it. We've we've gotten you consent, which, again, I have concerns with the leaders of our union when they talk about consent, because I don't believe in the consent, they, the way they're saying consent, because their consent is coercion. It is a situation where they are taking a position where it's, if you don't want to do it, say no, that's okay, but then you won't work. Correct. And that's, not, Correct. that's not the true idea of what consent is. And so a good friend of mine, Matthew Modine, wrote a, wrote a very good article on that. If anyone wants to Google that, he wrote a really strong article about that position. And so we, we have to look at this in a way that, you know, we don't know all the possibilities. I've, t- I've talked to some really strong experts on artificial intelligence. As we know, MIT is here in Boston. There's a lot of smart people when it comes to what's happening with biometric data, with all of those uh, different things that could come into play with artificial intelligence, whether it be generative AI or whether it be, you know, this idea of synthesizing a performer. Again, it's not as simple, you know, these bumper these bumper stickers that say artificial intelligence and everybody says down with AI, it's a little more complex than what the when than what the surface position is. And so when they start to scrape pictures and images from the internet and they start putting them into what can be considered something like chat GPT, which will then be a program that will spit out something that will be a replica or a synthetic performer. We run into a dangerous place where you have folks like Scarlett Johansson and others going out. I think there's a big lawsuit right now by the New York Times over generative AI, which was used by their computers to scrape the internet, pull all this information, and then formulate a program that could either write in the style of or do that. And and don't get me wrong, I think there's going to be, in the future, there's going to be huge benefits to artificial intelligence. I mean, as a kid, I remember going back one time looking for an article during a school project and having to flip through all the old newspapers and everything. What kind of a dream would it be to just punch in a couple keywords and find that article in 10 seconds? which is what happens now on the internet. But the dangers of it at the same time to replace performers is very, very concerning for, for a performer because why would they need one of us when they can say, give me somebody that looks like John and Chuck and let's put him in the movie. And then, of course, they'd have a desirable man, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. Or not. Uh, <laughs> well, but, you know, it's funny, the other day I heard, I don't know if you have, have heard this, but I'm going to do some research. I haven't had a chance to research it yet, but they just had a, um, an AI film festival uh, last week in Dubai. And every um, project in the film festival was, was made by AI. So the actors are AI. It, it was uh, filmed by AI. So like you said, they told you, you know, it, uh, oh, that's way down in the future. No, it's now. It's it's really right now. And, yeah. and, the, and the difference with 
you know, technology. In the old days, yes, it would take 10 years for technology to happen, new technologies to really get, you know, going and strong and everything. Now it's almost, uh, uh, you know, in months, they can do what took 10 years with the, with the advances and, and especially with uh, a, uh, artificial general intelligence. So it's a day, you know, there's pluses, like you say, it's complicated, but there's a, a lot of dangers and the replacement of people is a real big danger, whether it's talent in acting and uh, writers, but also in general workers and you name it. Um, you know, the ability to get rid of a certain segment of the populations and need not needing them anymore. And of course it's gonna be the people on the bottom. It's not gonna be the billionaire class, but it's gonna be the average folk that they're gonna to wanna to kind of like, yeah, we don't need those people. So it, it's complicated and it's dangerous. It is dangerous. Yeah, and, and, and again, it was, it was something I advocated to our leadership was that one of the successes of the DGA contract, as opposed to what was the public opinion that the DGA should have held out. But if you look to the DGA's contract, they have a whole provision that says, you know, generative AI will not replace our members. And that was something that if you look through our contract is not there. And that is very concerning. And so it was why I was a no vote on the contract was an unpopular opinion at this point with with what the numbers may look like. But I don't think that this is something where, again, you look back at a lot of unpopular opinions in history and they turned out to be the popular ones when it came, when the time came to cash those checks. So I think we just have to be vigilant and we have to take control of our own rights and do everything we can to to ensure our image and likeness is protected when we can. And we're, you know, I'm actively with other actors looking at ways to do that because I think it's going to be something that in the future is going to be very pertinent because again, a lot of people see their image and likeness being used in places they didn't want it to be used. And then they're saying, well, what can I do? What's the you know, and as we all know, with law and legal uh, situations, sometimes you're stepping over dollars to pick up pennies because you're trying to fight back on something that may be too not cost effective. And so we can't let people see that. And we also want to make sure that we protect the image and likeness. You may not want your image or likeness used in a certain way, and you may say no to the the project. Or you may say yes to the project and then they decide they want to do something. And there's a lot of certainly a lot of situations like with Hustle and Flow and Terrence Howard, where they wanted his character to beat up one of the women in the film. And he said, no, he didn't want to do that. And they weren't able to do that. Now, would that be the situation with artificial intelligence? It might not be. They might, might be able to pull his character and make that happen. And then yeah. he didn't have he didn't have the actor's choice that we we all should deserve to have. And like you said, you know, they say you have consent, but as you know, if you're an A-list actor or an A-list writer, your consent's gonna be taken seriously because you have power. But if you're an average person, you don't have power and you don't have money and you don't have the ability to fight legally, uh, financially. So you're kind of not in a position. So consent is almost meaningless in that sense. Because like you said, if you don't consent, well, then you don't work. So that's the, you know, yeah, of course you got, we, we're going to let you have consent. But yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so what does it feel like, uh, Chuck? I mean, and, and I have much credit to you for standing up on both of these positions, both during the, the mandates and COVID and then on AI. You know, sometimes, like you said, when you when you step up um, and don't follow the crowd, you know, it, it doesn't get you a lot of uh, there's people who don't like you for it. <laughs> people think you're crazy, whatever. But that's what leaders do. Leaders are willing to take 
that that chance, right? Not just go like, well, let me put my finger in the air. Okay, that's the wind blowing that way. That's the way I'm going. That's not a leader. That's a follower. So congrats to you for stepping up on these issues. But how does it feel? Or, or you know, what are some of the blowback you've gotten because of that, that you're willing to step up? Um, well, obviously there's, you know, the, the haters are going to hate, but it's a situation where I don't think if you don't have people that don't like your positions, then you're really not making any progress. Right. Isn't that what Winston Churchill said in, in other words, he said something to that effect. I think that you just got to take that stuff and you just got to keep moving. I think if, if people have time to talk about you, then they're not focusing on the stuff that they should be focused on. And again, you know, as as uh, as you stated early on in the show, I have overwhelming support from my community. And so I don't ever think that I'm not doing what's right. I think people want me in the position that I'm in because I'm willing to talk against certain things. And I once had somebody say that, oh, um, you know, it doesn't matter that he's on the board. He can't really accomplish much. And I thought about magnets. Right. That even if you're uh, if you're the polar opposite sometimes and you try to put two magnets together, you force the other magnet to move. So there's a situation where it's they wouldn't have to show up if they didn't have some type of a dissenting opinion. And we the dissenting opinion is the most important thing to uh, democracy, to our constitutional republic. Right. Because that's really how we know whether or not we're doing the right thing. If everything was just do this and and no no pushback then we wouldn't know we were on the right path. You know, resistance when we go to the gym is the most important thing. I could go to the gym and lift helium balloons all day. <laughs> matter. But if you go and you face some resistance, that's how you get stronger. And I think it's really important to have the resistance. I, I welcome any of those folks. I mean, there are situations where you have to say, I can't take this negativity. I'm going to, put, you know, uh, try to steer clear of that. But at the same time, I think it's really important to have those opposing viewpoints. And again, with with any type of service, it's win the seat and I'll talk to you in the room. And that's the way that it works. Well, right on. I, and and I, I agree. You know, I think that's the uh, attitude. And we also have to be willing to, you know, I'm willing to engage anybody on anything as long and because I'll start from a, a standpoint of respect for them and their ideas, even if I disagree with all of them. But, you know, of course, at some point, if somebody can't come at the same place, well, then you may have to, like, you know, push them to the side or, or you know, uh, ignore them, whatever it is. But as long as somebody wants to have an intelligent conversation, I don't care what their position is. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm, I'm not yeah. afraid. I'm not afraid of you. You know, all you got is ideas. I got ideas, too. Let's go. You know, that's um, right. Um, so anyway, anything you'd like to wrap it up with and, and finish up or how people can contact you, Chuck. And thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun, man. No, I've had a, I've had an amazing time. And I, and I thank you again for letting me come on and share the platform and, and talk to the folks. And obviously, I want to push uh, Family's Feud on Tubi. I think everybody should watch it. Take some time over the weekend or whenever, whenever you're free and and uh, check it out. Download it. It's only it's it's free. So there's no. uh if you want your money back, come find me. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, I think, you know, I have chuckslavin.com if anybody wants to connect. And I'm, I'm all over uh, social media. People can call me. People can email me. Whatever anybody needs, I'm, uh, I'm here. And, uh, you know, hopefully everybody, we can work together and collaborate. And I, and I, and I hope to uh, continue watching your stream and, and promoting your show as well. So I'm uh, super excited. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. And thanks for this fun conversation with 
my fellow East Coaster. Wish you the best with everything acting, what you're doing in the union, being a leader and standing up and, and being those dissenting voices, man. You know, uh, I think we need more of it, as you know, and, and, you know, whatever way we can do to support each other. So thank you for your um, your involvement, your activism, and uh, what you keep doing. So, Chuck, thank you. Have a great uh, week, man. And um, thank you, we'll, John. We'll stay in touch. Namaste. All right. Namaste, man. Thank <laughs> you.